And, and so this morning we're going to continue in our series, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And um, th- this series is all about loving our neighbors. And, and we talked last week about the fact that that sometimes we take loving our neighbors to mean everybody, that just everybody's our neighbor, and it's this, this big, wide thing, and that's true. You should love everybody around you, but really what we're specifically talking about in this series is, is loving those that live around you in your neighborhood, because I think sometimes when we focus on loving your neighbor being everybody, this, this big net that we throw out, we fail to love the people that are right around us. And so, so one of the things we talked about last week is that one of the best opportunities that we have to share Christ and to love those around us is right where we live. You have people every day that you pass by. And, and, and I, last week, I think I, I may have made you a little bit uncomfortable. I talked about the fact that I struggle with this idea. I struggle with with going out of my way to go talk to people, and some of you took that as the fact that I don't like people. Some of you told my father about that. I heard about it. Thank you. I assure you, I love people. I'm just not a social butterfly like some of you. And so we may, maybe you were a little bit uncomfortable last week with the idea of going and meeting your neighbors, getting their names. Listen, for some of us, that's not... That's not a comfortable thing. Well, I got good news. This week we're gonna take that and we're gonna take it a little bit further because I don't think that that God just wants us to know our neighbors. I think God wants us to love our neighbors and not just love our neighbors like, oh, those are good people, you know, I I love them. I'm talking about having a, a genuine, authentic, love and care and compassion for the people that live around us that causes us to love and serve and go out of our way for them. And so, so that's where we're at today. So if you were uncomfortable last week, get ready to get a little bit uncomfortable this week because God's calling us out of our comfort zone to love others. We started last week with Luke chapter 10. Our, our main passage for this series is Luke chapter 10, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so So we read this little piece, it's verse 25, and and I'll read it with you here. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. So so this is kind of the baseline of this whole series. The idea that we are called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves. That's a a big calling. And so last week we, we had some practical steps there. We talked about praying for open doors, praying for opportunities to meet, to share Christ, to love our neighbors, praying that God would literally open up doors for us to love others. So we, we, we talked about praying for that, then we talked about making the most of every opportunity. If we're going to pray for those opportunities, we'd better be ready to make the most of them. And then the third thing was just the way we act, speaking, living, acting with grace so that we're, we're there, so that people see Jesus in us. 
So, so I want to stop real quick. Before we get into the stuff for this week, this is really important. Um, if you have a bulletin and, and you weren't here this week, or if you have a bulletin and you were here, I want you to take the bulletin out. Go ahead. I want to see you do it. Let's go. I see some movement. Some of you are daring me to call you out, and I'm not going to do it. <laughs> All right, in your bulletin, there should be a neighborhood map. Did you guys get the neighborhood map? Anyone want to hold that up so I can see it? Okay, if you weren't here last week, I want you to take that map. Is there anybody that wasn't here last, last week that didn't get one of those maps that doesn't have one in their hand right now? If there is, would you raise your hand? And if there's somebody that was here last week and has one of those maps already, would you hand yours to them so that they could have it? Because the goal is we want everybody to have one of these neighborhood maps. And there we go, Pastor Deb needs one. Someone help her out. Come on, Pastor Deb. You're here all the time. Anybody got one that, that she could have? Here we go. Thank you, Amy. Okay, so, so here's what I want you to do with those maps. I explained this last week. I'm sorry for those of you that were here that this is redundant, but, but on those maps, your house is the center house there, and, and then there's eight houses or eight squares around your house, and what I want you to do is identify your eight closest neighbors. I know that not everyone lives in a perfect square or circle, and so identify your eight closest neighbors, and what I want you to do, you can use those boxes, you can use the back of the the map, you can do whatever you need to, but what I want you to do is I want you to write down the names of your eight closest neighbors. That's number one. So put number one for each one of those neighbors and write their names. I understand if you're anything like me, you're probably not going to be able to get all of them, but it gives you something to strive for. Number two, I want you to write down something that you that you know about those neighbors that you couldn't know just by driving by their house, okay? It's not they've got a red mailbox or a blue door, something that you would have to have a conversation and get to know them a little bit better. That's number two, I want you to write their names, number one. Number two, something that you wouldn't know by just driving by their house. And then number three, I want you to write something deeper about them, something about them, their hopes, their dreams, something, something that you'd really have to know them to, to be able to write down. And, and the point of this is not for me to ridicule people that, that don't know their neighbors very well because I would be ridiculing myself. The point of this is I want you to take those maps home. Some of you did this last week, thank you. I want you to take those maps home and I want you to use them as motivation to, learn, to get to know your neighbors better. And so today, we're going to continue to look at this idea of loving our neighbors. We set it up last week with these maps. We're setting it up today with some of you that weren't here with these maps, with this idea that, that we need to know our neighbors. We need to have relationships with our neighbors. In fact, we, we asked the question last week, what does it look like to love my neighbor? What does it look like to love my neighbor? Well, Today, I think we're going we're gonna to push into this a little bit further, so knowing them is the first thing. It's hard to love somebody that you don't know, but today I want to look at, at what it really looks like to love our neighbors. And so we're going to look at the rest of this passage in Luke chapter 10. We looked at the start of it with this expert of the law that, that asked the question, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus calls him to look to the law, and he, he gets the answer right. That's great. But then we, we're going we're gonna to look further into Luke chapter 10. See, the expert was 
testing Jesus, it says. He wants to know what he has to do to inherit eternal life. What do I have to do to get into the kingdom? What do I have to do to be good with God? The basic question, I think most of us think that's an okay question. What do we have to do to be the Christian that God calls us to be? He asked that question, and, and it's legitimate, but, but what we're going to see today is that, that the expert in the law doesn't stop there. So I want to stop, and I want to talk about a scenario that happens in our house sometimes so that hopefully you can get a better picture of what's happening in this story. So, so something that happens at my house sometimes. My kids will come downstairs, and they'll say, Mommy, Daddy, we got nothing to do. We, we're bored. Do any of you... Have any of your kids come down and said, we're bored? Does that make your blood boil like it makes my blood boil? Or, or hey, I, I don't have anything to entertain myself with. I, I, I'm bored. And so we have this scenario play out in our house every once in a while where the kids will come down and, and, and they'll express that and we'll say, you have a house full of toys, more toys than you could ever play with. You've got all sorts of stuff that you can do. There's this thing called the outside, which you can walk out the door and, and play with other people. It's really fun. You should try it. And, and so we say, you know, you should do that. And, and then they'll, they'll ask this, this next question, which, which just absolutely is a terrible question. They'll say, well, I'm, I'm bored. I don't have anything to do. What can I do? What can I do? Now, if if you're a teenager, if, if you're a young person in the room and, and you are feeling bored and your parents tell you to go do something and you say, I've got nothing to do, what can I do? That question is not a smart question to ask your parents. Because our answer at that point, you're pushing, you know, you've already brought up your request, we've answered it, and then you ask this next question, what can I do? You know what our answer is? There, there's a house that needs cleaned. There are a bunch of rooms that need cleaned. You could brush your teeth for once in a while. I mean, come on, like, you know, you, you could comb your hair. Would it hurt you to comb your hair every once in a while? And, and so our, they push the limit. They ask the question, and, and they get more than they, they bargained for. That's kind of what we see here. So, so the expert of the law is testing Jesus. He says, what do I have to do to get eternal life? What do I have to do to get into the kingdom? And, and Jesus, he answers his own question when Jesus calls him to, they're all good, right? Okay, great. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's easy. But the expert in the law took it a step further. He wasn't content there. And so we kind of see this situation, this scenario, kind of like the one I, I just pointed out where, where he bites off a little more than, than he wants to with this next question. So let's pick it up in verse 29. It says, but he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus... Who is my neighbor? Okay, Jesus, you told me I got to, I, I mean, I, I told you, but you told me first. I got to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I got to love my neighbor as myself, but, okay, here I got one for you. This is a tough one. Who's my neighbor? Who exactly do I have to love as myself? Verse 30, in reply, Jesus said this. He tells a parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. 
A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man that fell in the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this, this is amazing stuff. This is incredible explanation. And when we ask the question, how do we love our neighbors? Jesus just laid it out for us perfect. See, the expert in the law was pushing it, was testing Jesus, but, but he asked the wrong question. He said, who are my neighbors? Jesus didn't answer that question. He answered a bigger question, which is how are you supposed to love your neighbors? And, and sure, he answered who it is too, but he, he really wanted to get down to the heart of what does it mean to love your neighbors? And, and so he tells this parable, and it's packed with meaning. I want to jump into it. I'm not going to, listen, I, there is so much in this parable, and, and I'm just going to scratch the surface of it, but, but what I want us to get today is what does it mean for us to love our neighbors? I believe it's more than knowing them. I believe it's more than knowing their names or something about them or even knowing their greatest dreams and fears and failures. I believe that God wants us to love our neighbors. And so Jesus responds to this parable. He tells the story of a man from Jerus going from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he travels this road that, if, if you study anything about this, it'll tell you that this road would have been very familiar to the people who Jesus was talking to. This road was a dangerous road. Jesus sets the story perfectly. He says there's this man, and he's traveling down this road, and he's robbed and left for dead. He's stripped naked. He's, they take everything, and they leave him half dead. And so, so the readers at this point must have been thinking, yeah, that makes sense. And they must be tracking right along with him. And so what Jesus does is Jesus sets up this picture of a man who's in great need. Then come three people, three examples. The first and the second, and this is where we could spend a ton of time, but, but the first and the second are a priest and a Levite. Now, what do a priest and a Levite represent to the people that Jesus is talking to? This is an expert of the law. This is, this is a Jewish man. This is a guy who, who would follow priests and Levites. And so, so Jesus says a priest comes along, sees the man, and decides to walk on the other side of the road. He wants nothing to do with it. He passes by. Then he says a Levite, who is, who is also a religious leader, just a little bit below the priest, he comes, and he, he sees the guy, and he passes by. And so, so, so Jesus is pointing out people who would have been under the same law that this expert of the law was under, the, the law that he just quoted, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The priest and the Levite would know very well that they are called to love their neighbor 
as themselves. But what do they do? They pass by. Why would they do that? Why would they pass by someone in need? These are, these are religious leaders. These are people that, that teach the scriptures. These are people that, that live their faith and they see someone half dead on the side of the road and they pass by. And, and one of the things that, that, that we could spend so much time on today and I don't want to dwell on it is, is why would these guys pass by? There, there's some good reasons. I mean, there's the, the matter of touching somebody who's unclean, which would make them unclean. There's the matter of the inconvenience of it. There's the matter of the fact that this is a dangerous road, and so it would be putting their lives in danger to help someone else. There's, there's all of these reasons why this priest and this Levite may not want to help this guy. I don't want to get too much into their reasons. What I want to ask you today is why don't we help the people that we pass by in need? Why don't we help the person lying on the side of the road? Why do we pass by people every day that are in need and not help them? What causes us to? The more you study about these reasons, one of my favorite quotes was, I was studying all these reasons like, okay, and we could talk about the uncleanliness, we could talk about the danger that it put them in. We could talk about all these things. And then one of my favorite quotes talked about the fact that it doesn't really matter because this, this is a parable. It's not a real story. These people aren't real. But, but it, Jesus is trying to teach them something. So let me ask you a really personal question. I know that you guys are great people. I know that you help each other and you love each other. But if you and I are being honest with each other, sometimes you pass by the people that need to be loved and cared for. I promise you I do. Sometimes I help. Sometimes I, my heart is stirred and I help, but there are a lot of times where I'll pass right by someone who I, who I know is in need. Why, why do we do that? I want you to think about that for a second. What is it that keeps us from helping those that are hurting around us? Maybe... Maybe we don't notice them. Maybe we've come to the point that we've seen it so much that we just, we block it out. I've talked about this before, but when I was in college, I would come home for the summers and I would work and, and, and I, don't, I don't like being hot and sweaty. And so I would be driving home from work sometimes when I was in college and I would pass by someone walking down the side of the street and I would just think, oh, it's got to be miserable. And so I would pull over, and I'd say, hey, where do you need to go? Jump on in. And I'd take them wherever they wanted to go, because I wanted to help them. But I'm going to be honest with you. I pass by people all the time now, and I don't always have that same reaction. Why? Why do I pass by now? And honestly, sometimes I don't even see the need there. Sometimes I see someone walking down the road and where before I would have said, oh man, that person needs a ride, I need to help them. Now I drive by and think, yeah, okay, there's someone walking down the side of the road. Maybe I don't see it. Maybe I'm too busy, maybe I just don't have time. I, I can't pick someone up and take them somewhere. I'm on my way somewhere. I, I got a lot to do. Maybe it's not safe. Maybe, maybe I don't want to put myself in harm's way. Why do we not help the people that are hurting beside us. 
So Jesus tells a story. He says a priest and a Levite, they pass by. These are people that this expert of the law would respect. But then he really brings the twist to the story. And that's the third person, a Samaritan. He says a Samaritan comes by. As he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went and bandaged his wounds, wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense. So the two religious people passed right on by for whatever reason. But a Samaritan, who by the way, would have been the enemy of the man lying on the side of the road. Samaritans and Jewish people did not get along very well in these days. This was not a buddy. This was not someone. When you ask the question, who is my neighbor? Who do I have to love? This is somebody who most of us would think, or most people in that day would think, he wouldn't be the one to help him. And what does he do? He goes over. He cares for him. He takes him somewhere. I I just want to get into this a little bit more. The the Samaritan goes the extra mile for all the excuses that the priest and the Levite had. The Samaritan goes above and beyond to love and care for somebody that he honestly, most people would say, didn't have to. He, He gives him his own animal. He picks him up. He puts himself in danger, goes over and starts to help him, pours oil and and wine on his wounds, tries to heal him, and then he puts him on his own donkey. You know what that means? That means he's walking from there on out, puts him on his own donkey, then he takes him into town. Okay, think about this. If Samaritans and Jews are not friends, if they're enemies, and this Samaritan who would have been looked down on by Jewish people takes a Jewish man who's half dead, who's naked, and takes him into a Jewish town, what's that look like? What are people going to think? I mean, this guy's, this guy's putting himself in all sorts of danger. Then he takes him to the inn, and not only does he care for him, but he gives them money to care for him in the future until he gets better. This Samaritan goes way out of his way. And here's what I want us to see. The acts of the good Samaritan embody what it means to love our neighbor as ourself. Because think about this. When you get sick, what do you do? You devote all your resources to making yourself better. When you're hurt, what do you do? You go out of your way to make sure that you heal. You take care of yourself, don't you? And this Samaritan, who wouldn't have looked at this guy as his neighbor, or most people wouldn't have thought he would, goes and treats him the exact same way that he would have treated himself as if he was in the same place. Gives him his own donkey, takes him into town, pays for his healing. I mean, We take care of ourselves, don't we? Do you take care of yourself? I need someone to say yes because I need you to wake up a little bit. I I know you're tired. It's all right. Hang with me. Come on. You take care of yourself, don't you? Thank you. Yeah, there we go. We don't just take care of ourselves. We pay thousands of dollars for our pets to be healthy when they're hurting. We pay thousands, let me say that again. We pay thousands of dollars to take care of our pets when they're hurting. I'm not saying you shouldn't care for your pets. Don't call me an animal hater and go tell my dad. Come on now. (laughs) 
but we take care of ourselves and we really take care of our pets, but, but do we take care of the people that are lying on the side of the road? Do we love our neighbor the same way we love ourselves or even our pets? Do we? I'm going to be honest with you, I, I don't think we do. But Jesus says, here is a picture of what loving your neighbor looks like. So you've got to love God with all you have, and you've got to love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. And the listeners of the story must have been angry. They must have been upset because Jesus used their enemy as the hero of the story. And he says, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor. And then Jesus responds with another question. He says, which of these men was a neighbor to that man? So the expert of the law asks a simple question. Okay, if I've got to love God and I've got to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus goes way past the answer. Jesus could have answered that question. Jesus could have said, your neighbor's everybody. Jesus could have said, your neighbor is the people that live in the eight houses around you. Jesus could have very simply answered the expert's question and given him exactly what he needed to do what the law says. But something's going on here. Because Jesus is doing something so much bigger than explaining the law or the criteria for who this guy has to love to inherit eternal life. What Jesus is doing is calling this guy to a love that's so much bigger than legalism. See, see the experts just thinking, what do I have to do to make it? And Jesus is showing, pointing to a, a Samaritan who goes above and beyond what he could ever be expected to do and loves extravagantly. See, Jesus doesn't answer, oh, well, you got to love everyone. Jesus shows them what it looks like to love their neighbor. This is incredible. I, I think sometimes in the church, we fall into the trap of thinking, what do I have to do to love those around me? What requirements, okay, if, if the pastor says in the first week of the series that I got to get to know my neighbor's names and I got to know something a little bit more about them and then I got to really get to know them deeply, I've got my checklist, I'm putting on my refrigerator and I'm going to learn those things. I'm going to checked those boxes but here's the thing God wants us to go so much further than just fulfilling a law God wants us to go so much further I'm I'm really upsetting people today I'm sorry (laughs) I'm sorry babies you know just love people it's easy you know God wants us to go so much further than just checking off boxes or a legalistic faith that we love exactly how or who we have to love God wants us to have a heart that is broken for others. God wants us to give everything we have. See, Jesus is more focused on our heart, a heart of love, than fulfilling a law. It's not about a checklist. It's about our hearts being transformed to love those around us. Jesus calls us to a radical love for others, listen to this, that breaks through fears, that breaks through barriers, that breaks through our own selfishness. Hear that again. Jesus calls us to a radical love that breaks through our fears, our barriers, and our selfishness. This isn't about 
just looking like a good Christian. This isn't about checking boxes. This is about us loving people so much that there's no fear, no barrier, nothing that can keep us from loving them. That's what we're called to. Jesus calls us to a love that shows up when it's not expected to. Think about that for a second. A love that shows up when it's not expected to. And Jesus calls us to a love that goes further than it's expected to. It's not about getting to the law and finishing. This is about a love that is compassionate and wants to serve and wants to be extravagant towards others. And so last week was all about get to know your neighbors. It's simple. You can't love them if you don't know them. So that's, that's very real. I want you to take those those maps, I want you to put it on your refrigerator and I want you to fill it out and I want you to get to know your neighbor's names. I want you to get to know all about them. I want you to build relationships. But Jesus calls us beyond that. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors extravagantly. I got in a little bit of trouble last week because I told you that that film, uh, that video wasn't filmed in our house because it was messy. I didn't mean to implicate anybody in that so, so I'm going to make it up to my wife. Um, I want to tell you a story about South Carolina. We moved down to South Carolina, and, and if you guys don't know Megan, she grew up here in Milford. She lived in the same house until she went to college. Like, she, like Milford's where she was from, and so we got married, and we moved down to South Carolina, and there was a little bit of culture shock there. And Megan's first job that she got, or I guess it was her second job that she got, but it was pretty early on when we were there, was way out in the country in South Carolina at a school where she was one of the only white people at the school. I mean, there may have been a couple other white people at the school. So, so let me set this picture for you because it's bigger than just that. She's a northerner that moved into the south. If you've never lived in the south, there's a divide there. People told me for a while after I moved there that, that they won the war. Like, that's still real to them. So she's a northerner living in the south, and then she's a girl who's lived in Milford her whole life and gets a job out in the middle of nowhere in a town that has nobody like her. And, and, and it, was a, it was a challenge for her, not because she didn't love people, but because, I mean, she was just so different than everybody around her. But I got to brag on her. Because what started to happen was that those people at her school who looked at her as different started to see someone who loved them. And when things would happen to them, she would find ways to care for them. I remember, I've told you this story before, but one family in her, her class, one student in her class, their family's house burnt down. And so Megan took it on herself to come and take it to our church and say, we can help, we can make a difference for these people. And the church came together and donated all these things and loved extravagantly for people that we didn't know. They didn't live next door to our church, they lived far away. But God did some cool things there. There was another student who, who Megan knew was going through a tough time and knew needed some help around the Christmas time. And so, so our church pitched in and we... We did Christmas for them. And I tell you not to, I mean, I, I do owe it to Megan to say something nice, but I tell you that not to just say, look at Megan, she's so awesome. She is. But I tell you that to say that, that loving our neighbor makes a difference. 
When you're in a place where, where you're, you feel different than everyone else or you feel like, like you stick out or you feel like it's not your job. I mean, Megan could have easily gone to school every day and thought, we live in Goose Creek. Those are the people we're supposed to minister to. I go to church. I minister through the church. But Megan understood that ministering, loving our neighbor, goes beyond just what we do at church. It goes to what we do at work. And she loved her neighbor and opened the door for others to love her neighbor. And I believe made an eternal difference in the lives of the people around her. And so, so we are called not just to do what we have to, but to love our neighbor extravagantly. There's three things I think we need to do. If we're going to love our neighbor, you can write these down. I'm going to just go ahead and admit to you that the first one, I'm going to change something in. Number one, we have to see them. I, I told you earlier, sometimes we get so immune to seeing the need of others because we pass by them so many times and we neglect the opportunity so many times that sometimes we don't even see the need right next to us. We have to see them. And what I would change is it's not just about seeing them, but it's about feeling them. I've talked to you quite a bit. About my feelings that God has wants me to do something to care for kids that don't have a home. And it's easy for me to get busy with life and to forget about the fact that there are people that are hurting every day. I don't want to stop seeing and feeling the need for others to love others, to serve others. We've got to see them. We've got to feel them. We've got to know their pain. Number two, we've got to choose, to lo- we've got to choose love over comfort. Loving your neighbor will almost always mean doing something uncomfortable or going out of your way or sacrificing something of your own, sacrificing your own comfort. It's messy, it's hard, but we got to see their need and we got to choose to love our neighbor over our own comfort. And number three, we've got to love our neighbor just as much, if not much more, than we love ourselves. We've got to care for them. Man, when you see someone, and I know that you don't often see someone laying half dead on the side of the road, but when you see someone that's in need, you're called to love them. And I know there's some really serious questions about this. There's some really difficult questions. Number one, we we can't help everyone, right? You're going to get in your car and you're going to drive home and you're going to pass several people that are in need. Maybe someone's broken down on the side of the road. Maybe someone's begging for money on the side of the road. We can't help everyone, right? And, and there are some legitimate issues with safety. It's just not safe for all of us to, to do everything. So, so how do we love our neighbor? How do we choose love over comfort but be faithful to do what God's called us to do? I think it's simple. I think that we pray and we listen to the Spirit. I think if your prayer every day is open doors for me to love my neighbor, and if your prayer every day is God transform my heart so that I will love people, I believe that God will tell you when you need to step in and when you need to help. 
I saw this quote this week. I, I had to share it with you. Let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, the gospel really produces in us. If you will pray, if you will experience the love of God, I promise you that God will transform you and help you to know exactly who you have to love and help you to love them extravagantly. And so, so the calling today is simple. Last week it was get to know your neighbor. This week, it's a simple call. It's hard to do, but God calls us to love our neighbor, to love those in need. And so today and this week, last week, I ask you to pray the prayer, God, open doors for me to know and love my neighbors. This week, the prayer is this, God, help me to be a neighbor to those around me by loving them radically. I want you to pray that every day this week. I want you to pray that right now, God, Help me to love my neighbor, not to fulfill a checklist, but because I have a deep love that comes from you. Father, I thank you for these friends. I thank you for this wonderful building. I thank you for all of the blessings that you've, you've poured out on us, Lord. And Father, I'm just going to be honest. It's easy for me to become comfortable. It's easy for me to, to live a comfortable life and and focus on myself, and focus on the church, and focus on those sort of things. But Father, I never want to miss others in need. I know, Father, that to serve you and to love you with all that I have means that I have to love those around me. And so, Father, I pray that you would call me. I pray that you would transform my heart so that I would see and feel the pain of others. And I pray, Lord, that you would give me the strength and the courage and the wisdom to know how I can love my neighbor as myself. I pray that for each one of us here today. Father, we love you. We thank you for your great abundant love for us that when we were lying half dead, fully dead on the side of the road, Lord, you came and you gave everything so that we could have life. So Father, teach us to live like you. Teach us to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name, amen.